he's a dog. <laughs> a real dog. A real dog. Yeah, that's my dog. <laughs> he's, he's a good. He's a good boy. Hey, Chris Wood says, "Yep, you're sideways. I mean, you're like you're supposed to be." Thanks, Chris. Was good information to have. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Jamie, and I will be your preacher today. Let's pray, right? Okay. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy and peace. We need them so much. Will you help us to hear your word, your truth? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So, we've been in Matthew's Gospel for the past few months. And now we are in chapter 22. And uh, remember, Jesus and his disciples, they've come to Jerusalem because it's getting close to the time for Jesus to be arrested and crucified and resurrected. And Jesus comes into Jerusalem like a king. And uh, the people shout, Hosanna, save us. And, um, and later on, he raises a ruckus at the temple. And uh, remember, he flips the tables. And he uh, accuses the people in charge of treating God's temple like it's some kind of marketplace. Like it's a trade day. And uh, the regular people, they love this. And they see Jesus standing up to the system that oppresses them. And um, they love Jesus for speaking truth to power. The people in charge, on the other hand, um, not fans of Jesus. Uh, the priests and the Pharisees and the law experts, they hate him and they want to kill him. But uh, they can't because the people, right now the people love him. Uh, and the leaders are afraid of the people. Do you guys remember back when leaders were afraid of people? <laughs> uh, so uh, while Jesus is in Jerusalem and teaching uh, and amazing the people, the religious leaders, they're trying to hatch a plan to get rid of this prophet who acts like a king. And they know if they can somehow catch him in a lie or catch him teaching something false, that they can get rid of him uh, so that they can go back to being in charge and not having their power challenged. So in chapter 22, we have three separate moments on the same day, three separate moments when different groups of religious leaders are trying to trick Jesus. And... Um, what I want you to think about when you hear these events is to um, think about how Jesus behaves, how he handles it. Um, and I've said this before in other sermons. Um, Jesus is true God and true man. So when we see how he interacts with other people, whether they're his disciples or regular people or important leaders, um, Jesus shows us two things. He shows us how to be human, you know, how to uh, live and be citizens of God's kingdom. And he reveals the character of God. Um, 
And um, what is the character of God? Like, I'm sure we come up with a lot of things. Um, but we do have a really easy one to remember uh, because we sing it. And we sing it today. And it's what God says about himself. In Exodus 34, when Moses asks to see God's glory, you know, God says, well, okay, but you're going to have to hide in this little cave because you can't look at my face or you'll die. Um, you can only see me as I pass by. And Moses agrees. He agrees to these terms. You know, he agrees to meet God up on Mount Sinai. And he understands that he is not holy enough to witness God's face. Um, so he obeys. Right? Operation, see God's glory, is on. Um, and as he passes in front of Moses, God, uh, he does kind of a strange thing. He proclaims himself. Right? And it's Exodus 34, verse 6. God says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So those are characteristics of God, like according to God. Um, and we can remember the first part of that pretty well, right? Because like there's several psalms that quote it. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. We sing it a lot uh, because it's great, right? We get to sing God's words back to him. It's really good. In the middle, you know, God says he forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin, right? And uh, we like that part. <laughs> I like that part. Uh, but what about the last part there? Where he punishes the guilty to the third and fourth generations. Like, uh, that, is that hard to hear? Like, what, what do we feel about that? You know? Um, well, it doesn't really matter how we feel about it. Um, our God is a just God. Right? He is compassionate. And he is merciful and he forgives those who repent uh, but if we don't repent um, well to the guilty he exacts justice and this is this is God's character right from his own mouth to Moses's ears okay so back to Matthew's gospel back to Jesus showing us how to be citizens of God's kingdom while here on earth and revealing the character of God. So you can turn to Matthew 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? 
Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Okay, so that is the first of the three tests or tricks that the leaders are trying to pull on Jesus to get him in trouble, either with the law or the people. Because uh, really there's only two ways they can try to get rid of him, right? Either by the Roman law or by force. And so if they could trick him into breaking the law, the civil law, they could get the Roman government involved and have him arrested. Or if they could get him to say something that would um, be very unpopular with the Jewish people, uh, they could get the people to revolt against him and get rid of him that way. But remember, right now, the people love him. Um, they consider him a king who's going to save them from the Romans. So these Pharisees are going to try and make Jesus decide between paying taxes or not. And they've given this a lot of thought, you can tell. And uh, notice who they send to do their dirty work, right? They send their disciples. They send their students to do their dirty work. So, you know, this won't look like experts trying to test him. You know, this is, just looks like students who are trying to learn something. And who else goes? Um, the Herodians. And uh, do you know who they are? No, I had to Google it too. <laughs> right? uh, but it's like this Jewish uh, party who are dedicated to Rome. Uh, they're dedicated to the emperor and to King Herod. King Herod. And, um, and also this was probably the group that the tax collectors belonged to. Uh, doesn't that make sense? You're like, oh yeah, the tax collectors would belong to the one who likes the emperor. Um, and you remember the tax collectors are hated by the, everybody. <laughs> uh, because, you know, they're exploiting their own people for the benefit of the Roman oppressor. And uh, you should know, like, the Pharisees also hated them. They think of them as traitors, too. But here, they pull one of those, like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of deals. So they send their students to question Jesus, and they make sure that the tax collectors are there to, to see what happens. Uh, just in case. Just in case. It's a good plan. Don't you think? Um, we'll make it look like a learning experience. And uh, these students, they're real smooth about it, right? Like, they call Jesus teacher, right? Respect. And they butter him up with, you know, we know you're a man of integrity. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Yeah? Like, you have integrity. You can't be bought or sold. You can't be bribed because you're not impressed with people's status or power. So anyway, should Jews have to pay the tax or what? 
They lay it on thick, right? It's such flattery. It's a false respect. It's a lie, is what it is. Um, in Matthew Henry's commentary on this story, uh, he has a lot to say about this fake flattery. Uh, and he says, Here is hatred covered with deceit and a wicked heart with burning lips. As Judas, who kissed and betrayed. Matthew Henry, you poet. <laughs> and how does Jesus respond? He says, you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? Like he calls them out immediately. He doesn't play their game. And, um, and do you understand that if that's all he said to them, right, um, that would have been a righteous response, right? He could have exposed them as hypocrites and walked away. And instead, he exposes them as hypocrites and then says, you know, well, show me the money. Uh, I guess he didn't have any on him, right? And he makes them produce the coin. Okay, he doesn't ask for a specific coin. He puts it on them to bring the coin that they mean. Um, and you know, if you're a nation with a leader and you have your own money, that's a really big deal. Like, I don't think we think about that very often. I don't think about it at, ever at all. But um, that's, that's really important. Uh, and if you use the money of a certain crown or government, it means that you are submitting yourself to that nation or power. Um, and, uh, you know, the Jews don't like being exploited in this way by Rome, this imperial tax. They hate Caesar's authority over them, right? They want to be their own nation again. So he asks for a coin to look at, and they bring him like a penny, like a Roman penny. And uh, he asks them, who, who's on this? Whose inscription is on this? He makes them say it out loud. And they answer, Caesar. It's Caesar's coin. And uh, there's a rule in the Talmud. Talmud? We'll say it like that. Um, this is a, uh, it's like the Jewish law. It's not the Torah. Okay, the Torah is like the first five books, and it has the Mosaic law in it. But this is like their codified law book, where they, it's just lists of laws. Um, and there is a rule in it that says, he is the king of the country whose coin is current in the country. So according to their own laws, it is lawful to pay taxes or tribute to Caesar. They know that. So Jesus, he just tells them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Like this coin came from Caesar's vault, his purse, so give it back. Render it, I think it says in other translations, restore it to the crown it came from. It is literally your duty to do so. Uh, and as a parting shot, 
he adds, you know, and give to God what is God's. You know, they want an excuse to not pay an emperor. They want to save their money, but they aren't concerned in the least about how they withheld from God. You know, so Jesus reminds them, you owe a duty to God as well. And the gospel says when they heard that, they were amazed. And then they left. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, imagine being more concerned about your civil liberties than your obedience to your God who made a covenant with you and gave you a gift of law so you could be a people set apart and holy. I'm super glad that doesn't happen anymore. (laughs) I'm glad I don't know any Christians, any followers of Christ who are more obsessed with their civil liberties than they are with living a righteous life in Christ. What would that even look like? All right, so let's get to the second moment where a group of leaders test Jesus. And the turn, uh, well, it's Matthew, it's the 23rd verse. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, and that is why they are so sad, you see. <laughs> I don't know. You can roll your eyes and audibly groan at that. Um, that is a Laura Pickle joke that she told every time. She never failed to tell that one. And I rolled my eyes at it every time she did. But um, it is a helpful mnemonic, isn't it, to remember what their deal was. You know, because you hear them in the gospel, but it's like, now what were they again? Um, So they were a small Jewish sect who didn't believe in anything but the written law. This, is, this gets weird. Um, they didn't believe in spirits or angels or an afterlife. They didn't believe in the words of the prophets. Uh, the Sadducees, they were actually pretty heretical as far as Jews go. <laughs> um, and they were not friends of the Pharisees, but... They often worked in the same places. You know, they were um, priests in the temple, and they were in the court of the Sanhedrin. And even though they were such a small, weird, odd group, uh, they were actually made up of the more elite members of the Jewish society. Isn't that weird? Like, I thought that was really strange, and then I remembered Scientology. The elites just, they, they love a cult, don't they? <laughs> We're about to be sued by the Scientologists. We're going to get a letter tomorrow. <laughs> okay, uh, so let's see how the Sadducees come to Jesus here. Um, so uh, they come to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us, okay, notice no flattery. They just get straight to the point. Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. 
The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Finally. I mean, that's what she was thinking, too. <laughs> now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Now, this question, it should read, Now then, at the resurrection, which we don't believe in, and are making a mockery of, tell us, Jesus, a prophet we don't acknowledge, whose wife will this unfortunate, hypothetical woman be? And Jesus responds with, y'all are a bunch of idiots. <laughs> I'm joking, right? But don't you wish. In verse 29, Jesus replied, you are in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And then they left. <laughs> I love thinking about that, how, wow, that's amazing, and just turn around and leave. <laughs> so the Sadducees test Jesus by asking him a very silly question about the resurrection. They are mocking his beliefs and his teaching. And his response is great, isn't it? He, does, he doesn't call them idiots, exactly. Uh, but he does point out their ignorance. You know, you're wrong because you've limited yourselves to only one part of the scriptures. It's the law of Moses. You've limited your beliefs, so you don't even know the power of God. He points out their self-imposed ignorance, and then he addresses their silly question, right? At the resurrection, who is her husband? Is it the first one? Is it the last one? Was it the one that was stuck with her the longest? You know, was it the one she actually loved? Who? Who, Jesus, tell us. So he addresses their silly question. At the resurrection, which you don't believe in, people won't marry or be given in marriage, right? That business deal transaction of marriage, like it's not needed. People will be like the angels, which you don't believe in. They'll be like the angels in heaven, also you don't believe in. But since you have brought up the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? And here's where Jesus really shows out, right? Because Jesus knows that the only God stuff they believe is the parts of the Torah where God talks to Moses. So he quotes to them from Exodus chapter 3, where Moses sees a burning bush, right? And God speaks to him from the bush. He tells him who he is. He says, I am the God of your father, 
God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Right, he says this, I am the God of Abraham. It's present tense. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were like way before Moses, right? Like at least 400 years before Moses. So he doesn't say like, I was their God. He says, I am their God. I'm still their God. Jesus uses these words of present tense to show the Sadducees that there is an afterlife, a future state where God also reigns. And the gospel tells us that this teaching astonished the crowds. And I wonder, you know, if they were astonished by what he was teaching or the way he was teaching. Like the what is pretty astonishing. Just the, the subtle use of a present tense verb. Or the way he was teaching, you know, was astonishing because he, he shut them down by exposing their willful ignorance. These are social elites. They're educated judges temple priests, and they have access to all the scrolls and scriptures of the Tanakh, but they have chosen to only study and believe a very small part of God's word. They've ignored the rest of God's truth and his wisdom on purpose. And Jesus publicly reproves them for this. He scolds them. You're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. It's astonishing. I mean, imagine cherry-picking a small portion of scripture that you like, that you're not challenged by in any way, and living your life ignoring all the rest of what God has said, like, so glad that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> what would that even look like? <laughs> okay. So uh, we're laughing because otherwise we'd cry. Um, the Pharisees sent their students, right, as some tax collectors to see if they could get Jesus in trouble with the law. And then the Sadducees, you know, they tried to mock Jesus and the resurrection. And uh, so far, you know, Jesus, he's two for two. We can all agree, right? He's two for two. He's shut out both teams. He's got the W's. And all they can do is walk away defeated by his teaching of the truth. And can you believe that they try, like, one more time that day? <laughs> uh, will Jesus get the hat trick? <laughs> Spoiler alert, Yes. Verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. <laughs> One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Okay, so now the Pharisees are trying to best Jesus with a lawyer. It's a good plan, you know, I guess. Teacher, which commandment do you think is the most important one? Now, first of all, we all know that all of God's commandments are great, important. In fact, God warns his people not to show partiality in the law. 
several times in the Old Testament. He's like, don't do it. Um, and in Malachi, the Lord actually has to come down. He curses the priests for breaking the covenant and for showing partiality in the law. God does not want his people picking and choosing which laws they can ignore or uh, only enforce certain ones on certain people. You should know God hates that. Still, there were laws uh, at the time that people felt really strongly about. Okay, Some thought the law about circumcision was the most important. And some thought the law about the Sabbath was the most important. I mean, that one does say it's punishable by death, you know. So maybe if they can trick Jesus into picking a controversial law as the most important one, you know, maybe the people will riot against him. So what does Jesus do? I mean, I know you guys have heard this story. I know you know which commandments he says, right? But um, he doesn't pick a judicial law as the greatest, right? He doesn't pick a crime law, right? Like don't murder. He doesn't pick a ceremonial law, right? This, the Pharisees would have loved that if he had picked one about circumcision or sacrifices, you know, they would have, they would have felt justified in so many ways. And he doesn't pick a moral law, does he? Like, don't do an adultery. He doesn't pick anything like that. <laughs> Should I do it? Uh -huh. What what would it look like if Christians weren't obsessed with a judicial or a moral commandment? What if they finally obsessed themselves with what Jesus says next? Verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind. Love him with your will and your time and your affection and your intellect. If you do this, then there's a second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And let's note that loving yourself is implied in that. He says these two commandments are so important that all of the law and prophets depend on them. And why is that? Because it's about love. If you can keep these two love commandments, then you can keep all of them. Right? If you can do these two things, then the Ten Commandments are a cakewalk. You've already obeyed them because you're doing these first two. Love fulfills all the law. Jesus tells us that the love of God and neighbor are the greatest commandments. And these, these commands 
are, they're inclusive of others, right? They, they're not exclusive like the ceremonial laws are. They're the greatest because they include everyone. No one is exempt or left out. Because it's about love. Love fulfills all the law and the prophets. And how does love fulfill the prophets? What does that even mean? Uh, have you ever read any of the books of the prophets? <laughs> They're hard. <laughs> They're really hard. I will not lie to you. These are not easy reads. It's a lot of doom and gloom uh, and a pinch of hope. But every speck of hope in the prophetic books is love. A promise of a Messiah, a Savior to come to earth to reconcile us to God. That is love. And uh, even the doom and gloom in those books it was God's holy words of correction for his people. And that is love too. You know, it was warning after warning and chance after chance for God's people to change their ways and repent. And that's love. And Jesus says that these love commandments, they fulfill all of the law and all of the prophets, not some of the law, not most of the law. It's all. Uh, but are we able to obey these commandments perfectly all the time? No. <laughs> no. Does that mean that we shouldn't try as hard as we can every day? Like, no, we, we should be trying as hard as we can every day. Uh, only Jesus was able to keep the commandments perfectly. But we are expected to obey these so how? How are we going to do this? Um, well, we're going to ask God for help. Okay, We're going to keep reading the scriptures so that we can keep learning how to live as humans, how to live as citizens in God's kingdom. And, um, and we're going to repent often. Because uh, we're going to mess this up often. But we're going to repent because we know that our God is gracious and compassionate and uh, abounding in love and faithfulness. I think it's amazing that Jesus has this crazy day where he is tested by these really powerful religious leaders three times. And he handles it in love, right? I mean, he does, he corrects them. He shows them their error, but it is all in love. And, um, and it's amazing that all of these centuries later, you know, we get to study this and we get to be blessed by it. I kept thinking about that while I was, you know, going over this. Like, how, how amazing is that? That we get to be blessed by these weird three stories All right, let's pray. Let's confess. Holy, almighty, unshakable one, we know that you are gracious and compassionate. You are slow to anger 
and abounding in love. And we know because you told us. You've revealed that to us. And uh, we know because we experience this in our own lives. You are a just God. And we confess that we also test you like the leaders did. We want you to justify our thoughts and actions instead of us choosing to live by your love and your wisdom. And we're sorry for our pride. Please forgive us. We know that we fall short of perfection, way short. And we haven't loved you with all of our hearts and minds and souls. And we are lousy at loving our neighbors and ourselves. And we're sorry. Please forgive us. And Holy Spirit, we want to love better. Will you please help us? Help us to love better than we did yesterday. Thank you. And will you help us choose God's wisdom over our pride? Thank you. Jesus, thank you for showing us how to live. And thank you for your perfect sacrifice. Your love has fulfilled the law and the prophets for us. And thank you, Jesus, for every speck of hope. And we love you, God. And we trust you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if anyone wants prayer for anything, we can do that. And we would love to do that for you now. So have a great week. And let's pray for some stuff.